well. If you've got something to write with, I go encourage you to go and get it out. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and get it ready. Um, we, like I said, are going to be in our last Sunday of our Relate series today. And uh, man, this has been a great series. If you haven't been here, I'll just tell you, um, the messages are available online as well as all of the interviews from these past weeks. And I encourage you to go and check those out. Um, we have been over and over saying that you are a relational person and you need to get that about yourself, all right? Just look at your neighbor, all right? Everybody can do this. Just go ahead and confess to them. I am very relational. I'm a relational person. Did you know that? Just say it. It's good to just say things out loud sometimes. I am relational. Some of you look like you're comforting your neighbor. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Anyway, we are relational creatures. We are. We crave relationships. We are made to be relational. And you need to understand that about yourself. It's how God created you. We said from the very beginning that this is because God is a relational God. He has always lived in relationship with himself. He has always found total happiness in himself. And he created us in his image. And as we get created in his image, we are relational as he is relational. Two primary ways that you need relationships The first one is essential. You are created for a relationship with God. You're created for a relationship with God. I'm not talking about an intellectual understanding, okay, I know I need God, and okay, I'll do whatever it takes, so I don't have to go to hell, and I can go to heaven. I'm not talking about that. That's not a relationship. I'm talking about a relationship as you know relationships should be. An intimate, oneness, sharing, constant kind of relationship where you are known and you know That is how God created you to be, first and foremost, with himself. And oh, he wants a relationship with you. He wants to satisfy you. He wants to live in community with you. And it's one of the greatest joys of life when you learn that you can have a relationship with God and that he's done everything necessary in his son Jesus to give you that relationship if you would just turn from yourself and receive all that he has to give. That's where it starts. But you're also not only creating a relationship with God, you're creating a relationship with other people. People you like, people you don't like. Some people you choose, some people you don't get to choose, right? We have relationships, and it can be messy. But the way that God relates to us and God's word, so God's example and God's word, helps us to see how it is that we can live in relationships with others. We can learn to have joy in relationships that we have in our life with our moms, with our dads, with our coworkers, our bosses, with our husbands and our wives and our children and our friends, and all of these relationships, I want you to see that you can't separate them from the Lord's work in your heart and life. If you really live in relationship with the Lord, He is going to change your relationships with other people. And you ought to be able to see that change, that fruit, that transformation working out in your heart and in your life. And so that's what we've been doing in this series. Well, today we get to an interesting point because we've covered, I mean, don't you think we've, we've pretty much, you've got to think, pretty much covered all the, the main relationships in my life, right? Yeah, you can write us a thank you note later. Um, we've pretty much covered them. So why are we still going to be talking about Relate this week? Well, the reason is this. It's because there is a set of relationships that I do think we need to talk about that may feel more distant from us, but yet they're still important to us and God speaks about them in his word. There's going to be a phrase that comes up on the screen and I want you to think about it with me. Sojourners, yet citizens. 
A sojourner is somebody who's just passing through, who doesn't, who's not where they're headed. They haven't gotten there yet. They're passing through and they don't really have a, a, a like a real permanent place in this particular spot. They're just, it's, it's, it's almost a picture of like a refugee. Somebody who's been displaced, who's not where they should be or not where they want to be yet, and they're in this temporary mode. Sojourners, yet citizens, somebody who does belong, somebody who is where they should be, somebody who is at this present time doing what they should be doing and engaged. The interesting thing about what God says about us in the Bible as Christians is that here and now in this world, in your life, you are both a sojourner and a citizen. Let me point it out like this. You are a stranger and an alien on earth, the scripture describes you. This world is not your final home. Your home is with God. This world does not have everything for you. God has everything for you. There is coming a day that you will not be anymore here on this earth, but you will be with God. And there's coming a day even after that that he will create a new heaven, a new earth, and that's where you will live with him. You are a stranger and an alien then in this world, but yet, aren't you still a citizen here? right? Don't you still work here? Don't you still play here? I mean, I think I'm real. (laughs) Am I real? I think I am. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger, but yet I belong here, at least for now. I'm a citizen of heaven, yet I am still an earthly citizen. I got a driver's license that says Memphis, and it says Tennessee, and then it says United States of America. Some of you who are listening from around the world, You have a place of citizenship in the country where you are. So Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, your citizenship is not on earth, but it's in heaven. And yes, that's true, isn't it? Your truest citizenship is not here, but it's with the Lord. But yet, look at your driver's license. Doesn't it say something about your citizenship here? We are sojourners, and yet we are still here right now, as long as God has us alive. We're not, we're passing through, it says. In Corinthians, it describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that this body is like a tent. But we have a home in heaven. A tent. Anybody ever been camping? Okay, I don't know about you. I may not be the best camper in the world. Surprise, surprise. I know some of you are like, yeah, I could have pictured that. Um, it's, it's hard to iron my polos in the, in the campsite. And just... It just is. It's really tough. Anyway, um, Michelle and I always get the ones by the plugs. Anyway, um, a tent is not somewhere that you want to be like forever, right? I mean, it's good for a while, but I don't know that I could live in a tent like forever. Like if a tornado comes through, windstorm comes through, it gets cold, and Robbie's beside you snuggling with his dog. Like, it's just not a place that we want to be like forever. Like it's fun for a night, not forever. The Bible describes our bodies, this place that we live, as a tent. We've, we've put on a tent. It's not a forever thing, but we have a home. We do have a more permanent structure, which I think most of you would enjoy living in for most nights. We do have a permanent structure in heaven. So there's this tension. We are exiles, the Bible describes. We are those who are here, but we don't belong here, but yet we do belong in our neighborhood. I mean, you do have friends, and you do have neighbors, and you do have coworkers, and you do have a contract or own a house. So do you feel the tension there? Anybody with me? There's a little bit of tension here. 
And the question is, how is it that we are to be both sojourners and citizens? What does our relationship look like here in this world? And that's kind of what I think the Lord wants us to focus on this morning. It affects us in these three ways. I can see at least three relationships that we have, and I think they'll be on the screen. One is, it would affect your relationship with your government. Secondly, it should affect your relationship with your neighbors. And then thirdly, just the world at large, just people that we've talked about here in the interview. And if you're listening online to this message, you must go and listen to the interview with Eric and Ching Hong that you'll see there on your screen as well. We need, we need to be thinking about how does our relationship with God and God's word inform us about how we relate in at least these three areas. So we're going to unpack that for the next few minutes together. The first scripture that I want to turn to this morning, and I think perhaps the most helpful and informative to paint the big like umbrella that all of these three fall under is from Jeremiah chapter 29. I've taught on this scripture at least two times. It might have been three now here on, at the church. And so by now, I hope that you've got it down and you understand it deep down in your heart. But there's this interesting thing that happens. Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. It's right after the big book of Isaiah. Then comes Jeremiah, and we'll be in chapter 29. I, I think this is a great scripture for us to kind of see what God wants for us in, this, in these relationships in our life because God's, God had called his people Israel. So as we get to this book, I just want to set up a little context. God had called a people to himself. We know that people as the people of Israel, those who are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, ultimately would be referred to as the nation of Israel. God had called that people to himself among a wicked people that had rebelled against the Lord. God has always been, let me tell you this, in the world, God has always been desirous and inviting, doing whatever it takes for people to come back to him. And in the nation of Israel, amidst a very wicked people, a very rebellious people that we see at play in the world, in the Old Testament days and continuing today, God is calling a people to himself and saying, no, I want you to live in relationship with me. I want you to be like me. I want you to know how I've created you to be. He formed this nation, I mean, this people into an actual nation. I mean, you think about it as a geopolitical territory. They had an actual land and an actual nation. And at the very center of that nation was an actual city many of you guys know that city's name? It's been in the news a lot lately. It's the city of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was always to be a place where God would be at the center of everything. The Temple Mount, that tabernacle, the place where his presence dwelt was to be the very center of the city and therefore a symbol of the center of what was going on in people's lives. It was to be a place where God was worshipped, where God was known, where God was loved, and everything else in life flowed out of that love for God. Now, the interesting thing as we turn into the, the, the book of Jeremiah and the chapter 29 is that we know about what we know about the history of Israel is that they had begun to be rebellious to the Lord. The Lord had begun to threaten them, saying, if you're not careful, I'm going to allow sin to creep in and I'm going to allow enemies to come in to take you so that you can learn what it means to actually be given over to the things that you are desiring right now, which is not me. And in fact, what we learn is that the enemies of Israel in an actual historical way actually did march into that country. They actually marched into that city and they took captive the people of God and took them out 
took them out of that place where God was the center of everything and into their own lands. And now, chapter 29, the people of Israel are in Babylon. Now, Babylon was the antithesis of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the place where God was worshipped. Babylon, literally, was a city of pagan gods. God was nowhere near that place. It was a city of wickedness. It was a city of bloodshed. It was a city of great rebellion in every kind of way. You think about the most worldly of worldly cities where God is not known, that is Babylon. And now God's people, who have always known the safety, security, the refuge of Jerusalem, and that place where God was literally the center of everything, now they are marching into Babylon, in the center of worldliness. And the question is, as we go to this passage, what do you think God's going to tell them about their relationship with Babylon, their time there. And here we are, Jeremiah chapter 29. We'll start in verse 4. should be on the screen. If you've got your Bible, I hope you'll read. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Again, he's talking to his people here. The God of Israel. To all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat of their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise. And I will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will gather from you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. It's a fascinating passage, right? People of Israel marching into the, the most worldly of worldly places, and yet... God is speaking to them in a way that, I mean, if you're honest, I think it's a little bit surprising. You know, he doesn't say, okay, guys, I want you to make signs and go up and pick it. You know, tell them they're all doomed. He he doesn't say, uh, you know, isolate yourself, build compounds around yourself and don't engage and don't do anything in the in the city, don't do anything in these worldly people, don't don't even try to help them with anything. Rather, let me sum it up in this. I think it'll be on the screen. The key is this. 
This is what he's telling them. I hope you can write this down. He says, basically, serve and love your place of residence. In their case, it was Babylon. In our place, it's our neighborhood. It's our community. It's our city. It's our state, our nation, our world. Serve and love your place of residence while retaining a unique spiritual identity. Rather than resembling it or removing yourself from it. I mean, you have two options as Christians in our world today. Well, should I just blend in? Should I just become like all the people that are around me? Should I just, well, I'm here. Might as well enjoy it. Whoop it up. Have a great time. It's all available. Or should I remove myself from it, compound myself away and hide in the corner, scared that if I go outside of my little safety zone, that I might get hurt. He says, don't resemble it. Don't remove yourself from it, but rather seek to love and serve the place that you're in for now. Again, he promises that this exile is not going to be forever and it's not going to be forever for us either. We, but we are here now. And he says, go ahead. Build your houses. Plant your gardens. Have families. Grow and multiply. Don't lose who you are though. Remember me. I'm the center of your heart and should be the center of your lives. He says, be careful not to be led astray. But seek the welfare of the city. Do good. Serve it. Try to make it a better place. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. It's crazy. He ties the welfare of the city to the welfare of his people. He says, you've got to see that this is part of why I have you here. So what does this look like? It looks like this. Don't lose your distinct... Oh, go back. Sorry. Don't lose your distinct identity in God. Rather, grow in faith and stay faithful. That's verse 6. So you're to maintain your relationship with God above all things, and you shouldn't lose your faithfulness to the Lord. Secondly, it looks like this. Go ahead and settle down. Engage in life. You're going to be here for a little while. As long as God has you here, you're here. Be here. But... Be here for this purpose, to serve the community, to seek God's good in the place where you are, with the people that you know. Use your resources to benefit the common good of the place where you're in. You've got to see yourself as in the place that you're in for God and for the good of those who are around you. In other words, you should be the best resident's and citizens of the world. That's what God calls you to be. You see this. It's still a little bit of attention, but he's saying, you are here to love and to serve your place of residence. Retain your spiritual identity rather than resemble or remove yourself from it. That's the general teaching of Scripture. Now, practically, how does this work out? There's one other passage that I want to turn to today it's going to be quick. Um, And we're going to be coming back to this passage at a later time, actually before Christmas. 
But I want to turn to it today because I want to help you see the practicals of what this could look like. Now, you've got to work out this core truth in your own life. What does it mean for you to serve and to love your place of residence? Ultimately, that's what you've got to work out today. How do I maintain my relationship with the Lord and retain my spiritual identity where I am? And yet, again, not resembling it, not removing myself from it, but yet serve and love the people around me and the place where I am. You've got to figure out what that looks like. One other passage I want us to turn to today, it's Romans chapter 13. It's in the New Testament, so we're going to the New Testament. We're going to be looking at a few verses here in Romans chapter 13, because like I told you, there's three categories where this plays out. Now, there are so many different scriptures that I could take you to, and I just cannot take you to all of them today. Um, Because at 1 o'clock, a plane leaves, and I'm supposed to be on it for Serbia. (laughs) And so I told uh, somebody earlier, I think it was Garrett, uh, he goes, oh, you're cutting it close there. And I said, yeah, buddy, this could be the best Sunday of your life. Like, I've got a definite ending point. Um, That was funny. You can laugh at that. It's okay. (laughs) Um, But practically, what does this look like? in those three areas of this tension, government, neighbors, world. This is one of several passages I could take you to, but I think it speaks to where we are. So we'll read here, Romans chapter 13. Everybody there? Say yes. That was so weak. All right, starting verse one. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you then have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. You know, one of the more interesting questions in our lives as Christians is how in the heck do we relate to governing authorities? Your congressmen, your councilmen, your district attorneys, your mayors and your governors and your president, whether you're here in America, whether you're in the middle of Iraq or Iran, whether you're in another place in the Middle East or Asia or Europe, I mean, we are citizens of this world and we have governing authorities over us. And, you know, there are some who would say, well, just rebel. You shouldn't do anything they say, whatever. I don't think that's a very Christian thing to do because mainly of this passage right here. How do you live in this tension of being God's people yet in exile in Babylon and how do you seek the good? Well, 
there's a couple of key words that I want you to write down as it relates to what should characterize our relationship with the government. Now again, you're going to have to go later and spend more time in this because I don't have all the time to unpack it like I'd like today. But I do think helping to see some of these key words will help you. The first is this, submission. Submission. Your relationship with the government should look like one of submission. There's two scriptures that I want you to point your attention to and they should be on the screen. First is this, Romans 13. It's the one that I just read. Let every person to be subject to the governing authorities. Peter picks up the same thing in 2 Peter. And the argument here in Romans 13 is pretty clear. There's four things, there's four reasons that Paul gives us as why we should be subject to governing authorities. And you can listen or write these down, but just listen to this. First one is this, because number one, it's instituted by God. There are three basic institutions that God created. The home, Genesis chapter 2. The government, Genesis chapter 9. And the church, Acts chapter 2. Three basic institutions. All of them were created by God. It was God's idea to put government in place. And because of that, government is an authority of God. It is something where as you submit to God, he's saying you should also submit to government. It's part of his design. It's part of his plan. It was instituted by God for you to live under It's one of those authorities that we've got to deal with in our life. And some of us, I know there's going to be complexities. Some of you will write me emails. And some of you who are listening online who are in places where you don't have Christian governments. And there is legislative condemnation toward Christianity. You're going to have questions about this. We can talk about it later. But in general, government is an institution of God. Scripture is clear that no one has government authority. No one is even put into places of authority, even specific people. All of them fall under the sovereignty of God. God has put them there to accomplish his purposes. He has done that. It's an institution of God, and we must submit. Secondly, it's because it's good for us that there are civil authorities. Think about what this world would be like if there were no laws. Think about what our country, even Memphis. Y'all can think about this now. Come on. Think about what Memphis would be like if there were no laws, if there was no threat of punishment, if there was no police force, if there were no firemen, if there were no rulers or judges. See, civil authority is a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, I understand that government can be abused, and I understand you might not always agree with the politics of whatever person or whatever party, but listen, government is a good thing. It is instituted for your good. It is meant to protect, to uphold certain things that if we didn't have them, we would spiral into chaos. Chaos. Number three, it's because, the third reason we should submit is because we'll get punished if we don't. I mean, (laughs) hello. Um... Yeah, that's pretty self-explanatory. If you don't submit, um, you are going to pay the consequences for that. So go ahead and submit. That's the third reason that Paul gives. And then fourth, it's because if you don't submit, your conscience is going to condemn you. Because, you know, you know, you don't need the law to tell you what you already ought to be doing. You don't need the law. The law reinforces the things that you already ought to be doing. 
your conscience will condemn you if you don't submit to the government because even though you might get around it or cheat your taxes or you know, do something when somebody, nobody's looking, your conscience knows that you violated the law. And my goodness, you don't want to have a guilty conscience at night, do you? No, you don't want to have a guilty conscience. You want to have a pure conscience. Created me a clean heart, oh God. It's a clean heart that God will not despise. So, the first thing that you need to know to characterize your relationship with the government, even the Babylon government of this world, is submission as it aligns to the will of God. Submission. Secondly is this, prayer. Prayer. This is something that I don't do enough. I just want to tell you right now that I... I'm working on this as your pastor. I want to be more intentional praying for our governing authorities. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 6 says this. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. All different kinds of prayer he's listing here. You should be a praying person for kings and for all who are in high positions. In other words, you need to pray for Mayor Wharton. You need to pray for our congressmen and our senators and President Obama and our Congress. You need to pray for the people who are in authority in some of the most turmoiled areas in the world today. God has called us to pray. He says it very intentionally here. Pray for people who are in high positions, for kings, people who are in authority over you. And then he conditions it. Why should we pray? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it pleases, pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and all people to come to knowledge of the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In other words, pray... Because through your prayers, God works out his good purposes in this world. Mainly that all people might come to know him. Pray that through the decisions of those in authority, the gospel might have maximum effectiveness in the lives of those who are under their authority. Pray that in whatever decisions are made here in America, whether it's good for us or bad for us, that whatever happens, God would bring more people to Christ than before those decisions were made. Does that make sense? This is not just fairy tale kind of stuff. This is stuff that you actually got to figure out. So in my life, what does it mean for me to pray for President Obama? How, how often am I going to do that? When am I going to do it? Am I going to believe that this is something I should do? And if it is, how am I going to do it? One of the characteristics of your relationship with government should be prayer for maximum gospel progress through their decisions. Third, it should be this. Engagement. Engagement. Uh, by the way, the submission thing, I, I had a hard time with See, submission to the government doesn't just look like not murdering people. I had a hard time with this this week. I got pulled over. <laughs> Confessions from your pastor. This past week, I'm not even going to defend myself. Everything in me right now wants to tell you the context of what happened and help you understand why I was doing what I was doing. I was going 45 into 35, and I got pulled over by a policeman who was actually standing in the middle of the road with a radar gun. <laughs> that's kind of embarrassing when the police officer is on foot and he pulls you over. 
And everything in me wanted to be defensive. Like, this is so stupid. Like, I think I actually may have made that known that I thought I was stupid. Um, I had to wait in line for my ticket. Anyway, it applies to speeding. (laughs) Do you believe that those are laws? It applies to seatbelts. It applies to fishing licenses and hunting licenses. It applies to neighborhood covenants. It applies to keeping your yard clean. It applies to, I mean, we could keep going. Um, Taxes, most certainly. If you're avoiding paying taxes, my goodness, be careful. Submission is a hard thing. (laughs) Prayer, perhaps, is even harder, actually, doing these things. Engagement, though, is another step that we need to try to figure out. Matthew chapter 22, verse 21. Do you remember when Jesus points at the guy who comes up to him with a coin? He's like, should I pay taxes? And he goes, whose face is on that coin? He's like, Caesar's. And he goes, render Caesar what is Caesar. Render to God what is God's. Essentially what he's saying is everything is God's. So as you submit to Caesar, you are submitting to God, but you should also submit to Caesar. You should be a good citizen of Caesar in the things, he's talking about taxes here. Now, of course, you would, never as a Christian bow down to Caesar as God. You would never do anything that violated the will of God or the Holy Spirit's role in your life leading you, your conscience. But where it doesn't, you submit. Uh, Jeremiah 29, which you just read, you said, seek the welfare of the city. It's a picture of engagement. Do what you can do. Pray to the Lord. In its welfare, you will find your welfare. So what this means, my goodness, of all the places in the world that we should be engaged in government, it should be the United States of America because we have a democracy and you get a voice. It may not be as big of a voice as you'd like, but you have a voice. You should vote. You should engage. You should... Now, we as a church believe in total separation of church and state. We do believe that. We don't believe that we are to be in politics. That is not our role. Our role is gospel, ministry work, kingdom work. But let me tell you what I will do. I will always speak the truth of God as it relates to things in our world and in our country. We should always look for what does God say about a particular issue or a particular candidate, particular cause. We should understand what the truth of God is and bring it to bear as we engage in the best, most positive, contributive way we can engage in our government, through voting, through maybe it's some of you serving, whatever way, we should try to do our best to bring the will of God into our country. Amen? We should want that. We should want that. Now, sometimes that means, listen, some, and again, I'm talking about issues here, not parties and not people. Sometimes that means you might think I'm a Republican and sometimes you might think you're a Democrat or sometimes that means you might think I'm an independent. People might think whatever they want to think about us, I don't care because my allegiance is not to party or to people. My allegiance is to the Lord. Amen? And I want to speak about what the Lord says. I want to speak prophetically about that. I want to speak passionately about that and urge people in my sphere of influence and my little vote, I I want it to align with the will of God. Everybody track it fourth it's this even while you're engaged (laughs) you're free you're free freedom should be the fourth characteristic of your relationship to the government a couple of scriptures i want you to see and i think you'll understand what i mean 
1 Corinthians 7. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when he is called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. 1 Peter 2, 11. Beloved, you are sojourners. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Philippians 3, 20. But your citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are of good courage, for we would rather be away from this place, away from the body, and at home with the Lord. We engage, but as we engage, we don't give it our fullest attention. <laughs> we do not ascribe to the world the greatest status. Yeah, it's here, and we want it to be the best it can be, but it's not everything. We are God's servants. We've got to remember this, that we are God's servants, not the servants of any government. And we are free. Though we are submitted to governments, we are free because we belong to Christ from all governments. We are aliens while we live in the United States or the Middle East or in Africa. We are aliens while we are citizens. We are not totally at home here because our home is ultimately with the Lord. In other words, um, one pastor said this, we use the world but not as an end in itself. We use the world as a means. We deal with the world in order to make much of Christ. In other words, as a Christian, some of you need to hear this who, are too, who watch those news channels too much. Politics is not the end-all, be-all of our life. It just is not. Nor is the United States, though I love it and I will sing, I'm proud to be an American every time, every fourth I love that song. It, but it's not the end-all, be-all of your life. Being a Republican or a Democrat or Independent or whatever you are, it is not the end-all, be-all of your life. You are not defined by politics, and that should not be your greatest allegiance. Your greatest allegiance is God, and your greatest cause is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what you give yourself to. Our mission is not to elect certain party repeatedly in this country. Our mission is to see the gospel of Christ advance. Our mission is reconciliation, bringing God back to men. And we do that in whatever means we can, through whatever governments we can, (laughs) through whatever worldly stuff we can utilize, we try to bring people in a relationship with God, and that's our chief concern. Does that make sense? Submission, prayer, engagement, and freedom. This is some of how God says for us to resolve this tension. Now, I want to close today by looking at the very next verse in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. And this is the last verse that we'll consider together today before we close our time. Because I've said that it's not just government, but it's also nations and world. And we've seen that from Jeremiah 29. We've seen some of the specifics of this in the first seven of Romans 13. But we turn the corner to a more general statement that Paul makes in verse 8. As right after he says what we owe the government as we submit, he says this. Owe no one anything except to love 
each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment that can be summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You want to know what God wants for you as it relates to your neighbors, those who are right around you, who live around you, your classmates, those who study around you, your coworkers, those who work around you, your neighbors, not just here, but also in the state at large, in the country at large, in our region at large, and in the world at large. We are called to this one thing. The key is this, and it's on the screen. You should love Love. There's a million things that characterize love that work out of it. I can't spend time on them. But you have got to see that in your heart, you love people as God loves people. And God says that he loves all people. He desires all people. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all people would come to repentance and faith. He has a heart for all. That includes people that are not just in the church and are not just like you, it is for all. You should love. That's gonna mean that you're gonna serve. It's gonna mean that you're gonna share. It's gonna mean that you're gonna seek peace. It means you're gonna care. It means you're gonna bring the gospel message to people in a verbal way and plead to them to come and be reconciled with God as it says we should do in 2 Corinthians 5. And in love, you will find that you will fulfill the will of God. If you love people, you don't have to know what God wants you to do in all the specifics. Love will motivate you to do those things. Love, love, that's what God wants to work into your heart. Love, the love that he has for you, he wants that love to extend through you to a world who is desperate, who is desperate to know his love and yours also. What does that mean for you today? I don't know. In the next few minutes, I'm going to be here. We've got some prayer counselors coming to the front. But I don't want to just pass by this last important focus of what it means for you to be a sojourner yet a citizen. Do you seek to love and to serve? Do you seek to love and to serve your place of residence? Both this immediate place, but also our world at large. Do you do that while retaining your unique spiritual identity. Not resembling it, not running from it, but do you seek to love and to serve? In these three areas of government, neighbors, and world, are you living in right relationship? What is God speaking to you today? I believe he's speaking something. I believe he's calling you towards something. I believe that there are prayers that you need to pray today. There are things that you need to surrender. There perhaps are sins that you need to confess. You let God do what he wants to do in you today. As the band plays and we sing, I'm here. If you wanna make a decision for Christ, if you wanna join this church, you just need to pray with somebody. There's gonna be some people coming now. Just be with God now. And as we tie a bow in this series, would you just also pray, oh God, please, 
Help me to focus on my relationship with you above all things. Lord, I want that to be the center of my life. And God, would you work deep into my heart so that all the relationships of my life would reflect you, would be according to your will. Everybody should be praying. Be with God now. Say yes to what he's calling you toward.